Rosa Parks, she is a woman that perhaps you've heard of before. And uh, as I have studied about her this week, I have learned so much. She grew up in Alabama. Her grandparents were slaves and eventually owned a farm of their own. She lived there with her family, and although she was not able to finish school, she was able to find a job and was a seamstress. She married, and they were members of the NAACP. Well, they lived in Montgomery, Alabama, and there were practices in the day where when uh, people got on the bus, whites got on the bus, paid their fare, and they sat wherever they wished. Blacks would pay their fare, and then they would have to get out of the front of the bus, the front door, and go use the back door. And then they would sit in the back. The seats were segregated. Well, one day, Rosa was tired, and she paid her fare. She got off and went to the back of the bus and sat in a seat designated for the blacks. The, the bus started filling up with white passengers, and as was the practice of the day, uh, the bus driver pulled over, and decided that the blacks needed to move farther to the back of the bus, or they needed to stand up and give up their seats for the white passengers. A few blacks did this, and they stood and they gave up their seats. But Rosa Parks refused to stand up and give up her seat that day. She was someone who started a movement that day, December 1st, 1955. She had seen the injustice against her people and she decided she had enough. How do you respond when you are in a situation where you feel like oppression is happening? How do you respond when you're in a situation maybe at work with someone you're not getting along with? How do you respond? Do you get angry? Do you get revenge? Well, that's exactly what Paul addresses in our passage for today. We're in Romans 12, starting at verse 17. Paul says this, do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live in unity, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Well, first, let's talk about evil. What is it? When I look it up, it is the word, the words that uh, are used to define it would be depravity. Things that are not as they should be. Wicked, wrong, or even injustice. If we were to go back and study the whole book of Romans, by the way, it's just, I'm looking at the book in such different ways in all of these days. In chapter one of Romans, Paul describes what wickedness and evil is. He says it's all godliness and wickedness of human beings who suppress the truth by their wickedness. He gives quite a list of maybe the more obvious sins, like maybe sexual impurity or murder, but he also includes greed, gossip, arrogance, those who disobey their parents, and those who lack mercy. And as I read through the list, none of us get off scot-free. Ephah also includes the unjust systems that oppress the weak and give more and more power to the powerful, like segregation did in the times of Rosa Parks, or how I'm hearing that people of color are dying at alarmingly higher rates than our white friends, or how Native American reservations are not receiving the resources that they need to fight this virus. 
or how our Asian American brothers and sisters are enduring hate crimes because of how we're talking about the roots of this virus. All of these are evil, and although those specific things that are happening today um, are specific to our time, there were also unjust systems in Rome back in their day. In fact, the government really saw themselves as a divine power. And one of the things that happened is if someone uh, was found guilty of a crime and, and received the punishment of execution, those in leadership actually saw their death as a way of giving an offering to their gods, as an act of worship. That's kind of an extreme example, but I also think that there were evil um, systems and evil relationships within the church of Rome. Now, if you remember, we've talked about this, but there were Jewish Christians and Roman uh, Gentile Christians together in these house churches. The Jewish Christians had been exiled. The people in power of Rome had gotten rid of the Jewish Christians for about five years. And when they returned, they found their church that they had once been a part of no longer practicing the Jewish cultural traditions. No, uh, their how they ate and how they lived their lives no longer felt Jewish. It was the Gentiles. The Gentiles had the power. And as they came back together, Paul over and over talks about unity and trying to live at peace with one another. Why did he repeat that? I'm sure it's as the Jewish Christians came back, came back home to Rome, it wasn't like some happy family reunion. There was a lot of strife. There were opportunities to repay evil for evil. Paul says that there is evil. It is happening. In fact, earlier in chapter 12, he talks about hating that evil, calling it out, hating that evil. But he warns us to not repay evil with evil. He warns us not to get revenge. In verse 17, he also says that we are to think of those around us, those who live in the world, those who are not within the church. And how are we treating one another? Are we treating one another in ways that it seems right to all those around us? And then he says in verse 18, as long as it depends on us, try to get along with others. What I think is fascinating is that Rosa got on that bus that day and actually sat in the seat that was designated for her. And something I did not know, the bus driver that was driving the bus that day previously had done something, had, uh, had been mean to Rosa. Rosa had tried to get on that bus that day. She got on the front in the front door, she paid her fare, and as she got off to get and use the back door, the bus driver had driven away leaving her on the sidewalk, something that regularly happened. Rosa had every reason that day to have uh, revenge in her heart. It says to live at peace with others, even those who are inflicting evil on you. When I think of those who don't see the world as I do, people who have vastly different worldviews than mine, when we vehemently disagree about things, or if they have done things that I simply cannot condone, those are the types of people that Paul is talking about. How do we extend grace to them? How do we love them? How do we give them some food when they're hungry? Well, first off, how do we do that? Well, it says don't get revenge, okay? So you might want to feel like punching them in the mouth. We don't do that. That maybe seems obvious, but it also means not to send them mean texts or to use social media to try to get revenge. Instead, it says to extend gr grace and kindness, food and drink. Paul also says, essentially, that God is going to take care of it. I see it as a promise that we can trust God. Trust that God knows that it's evil, like he is calling it out and he knows that it is evil. God is the only one who truly can discern what is evil and what is not. He is the only one that ultimately will get 
will be able to handle and make the unjust systems just. He will judge that evil and he will take care of it. Now, this doesn't mean that if an evil happens, we just back off and passively let you know, life kind of take its course. Obviously, Rosa Parks and the civil rights movement stood up for what they believed in and made a change. Paul doesn't say for us to be a doormat, to be a victim without a voice. There are many of you out there who have maybe had such great evil inflicted upon you that it, it meant legal uh, ramifications. But what he does say here is not to get revenge. It is not to humiliate the other, not to do evil back to the evildoers. See, if we do get revenge, if we gossip, if we slander, if we do something mean, if we just vent to a friend, we are not helping anything. <laughs> In fact, we're disobeying all of what Romans 12 talks about when we say consider others better than ourselves or thinking about being humble ourselves or the fact that we are to extend grace. See, Jesus is inviting us to be a new humanity, to live differently. And revenge is not part of that new plan that Jesus has for his kingdom. Romans 5.10, Paul actually calls us enemies of God when we were separated from him. And he says that even while we were enemies, that is when Jesus died for us. That is when Jesus offered us grace. That is when Jesus offered us his body and his blood, the bread and the juice that we talk about, food for this journey. Jesus gave us, offered us that while we were yet enemies of God. And that is why when we have enemies, we are to extend the same grace that has been given to us from the Lord. Wouldn't you rather live in a world like that? I would. Paul also says to us that evil will not get the last word. Evil will not overcome me when I extend grace. When I was considering how to preach this today, and I got to tell you, this passage is heavy on me even literally as I say what I'm about to say to you. And I thought about what does this look like? What does this look like as we live in COVID days? What does this look like for me as an educated white American woman? I started studying Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and I'm fascinated by his six principles of nonviolence. Now, I'm not a Dr. King expert. I am not a history major. I do not know everything about this story, nor am I going to be able to share the whole story today. But I want you to hear about Rosa Parks and Dr. King today because I think it is one way that some people responded to Romans 12, responded to Jesus's way of life. These are the six principles of nonviolence. Please feel free to Google these or to look at these on your own as well. So I'm just going to read through them without commentary. I'm going to read them from Stanford University's Martin Luther King Jr.'s Research and Education Institute. So I quote, King's notion of nonviolence had six key principles. Number one, one can resist evil without resorting to violence. Two, nonviolence seeks to win the friendship and understanding of the opponent, not to humiliate him. Third, evil itself, not the people committing the evil acts, should be opposed. Fourth, those who are committed to nonviolence must be willing to suffer retaliation as suffering itself can be redemptive. Fifth, the nonviolent resistance avoids external physical violence, but
but also internal violence of spirit. This means the nonviolent resistor not only refuses to shoot his opponent, but also refuses to hate him. The resistor should be motivated by love in the Greek word, in the sense of the Greek word agape, which means understanding or redeeming goodwill for all. The sixth principle is that the nonviolence resistor must have a deep faith in the future, stemming from the conviction that the universe is on the side of justice. Nonviolence believes that God is a God of justice. Unquote. Now, what strikes you as you listen to those six principles? What might inspire you? As I've read more and more about Dr. King and these principles, I, I literally have to tell you, I'm just astounded as I read through these. I am convicted as I read through these. They're hard for me, and I am not part of black American culture in the 50s in the South. But when I do think about how I have had evil inflicted on me or when I feel like I'm tempted to get revenge or at the very least humiliate my, uh, those who oppose me, I'm, I am struck by that it's not just that I don't get revenge, but that I go the extra mile and I seek to be kind to those who oppose me. I seek to do good to them and I watch how my heart responds to them. For me, I think about those who disagree with what I'm doing with my life. The fact that literally right now, I am a woman preaching to you. What if I looked to those people who think that I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing with my life? What if I looked to them with more grace and understanding? Not trying to humiliate them with arguments, but trying to listen and understand where they come from and seek friendship with them. And what would it look like if we created a community that did the same, when we disagree vehemently about things, that instead of disagreeing and focusing on that, we really did seek to understand and to love one another, authentically love one another, as we've been studying in Romans 12. Well, three days after Rosa Parks was arrested on that bus that day for refusing to give up her seat, the community of churches and black Americans that day decided to boycott the buses. They decided not to use the public transportation and some decided to stay home. Some decided to use taxis. The local taxi companies that were run by blacks offered people to ride in the taxis for the same fare that they would have had they taken the bus that day. But many, in fact, they estimate 30 to 40,000 walked to work those days, that day and the next day and the next day. They walked to work, some of them, for up to 20 miles. They boycotted the buses for 381 days. They did this so that they could have rights, so that they could live freely. They fought for equality. But it all started with a woman who decided not to give up her bus. The other thing that happened in the midst of this story is by June, so Rosa was on the bus that day in December, by June, the, uh, the black community and civil rights leaders, they fought so that Jim Crow laws, the laws of segregation, they were deemed unconstitutional by June. And by that following December uh, in Montgomery, they had ended the, boys, the bus boycott. But in the midst of that year, in the midst of that 381 days, the cost of those people walking to work day after day, the cost came that black churches were bombed 
uh, black leaders' homes were destroyed. People's lives were destroyed. They physically endured great suffering. They did that in the midst of their fight for justice at great cost to themselves. They were not afraid of being uncomfortable for the sake of doing what is right. And they did not get revenge, but I do believe uh, that they did fight for what is right. And next week, you know what, we're going to talk about how does that look like when we, when we submit to the government and yet stand up for what is right when the government is doing what is oppressive. You can see how uh, this is a challenge for those of us who are trying to preach. Now, I am no Rosa Parks, and likely we will not organize a 381-day bus boycott. We may never lead any mass protests. We may never fight any grand injustice that's happening in our world today. But do you know what I do know? Those of you who are watching today, the good news that I have seen about how we are living this out, repaying, not repaying evil for evil, but doing good in the face of evil. I think about that video we saw, the brief video of how people ran and walked and moved. They did the Global 6K with Team World Vision and they raised money so that kids could have access to clean water. Or I think about those of you who are working with immigrants or internationals in and among us. Some might say they're outsiders, some might say they do not belong here. Some might even call them our enemies. And so what are we doing? When they're hungry, we're offering them food. When they're thirsty, we're offering them something to drink. Those are examples of how we are not allowing evil to have the last word. How we are over, trying to overcome evil with good. I want to be a community that continues to do these things. Do you? What else will it look like for us as a community to respond? How might we take Dr. King's advice and refuse to hate our enemies? How do we oppose the, the evil, but not those who do the evil? Let's pray as we think about how to respond. Help us, Lord. <laughs> I've heard it said recently that there are so many things that are confusing and we don't always know what the right thing to do is, but God, we do know the way. Jesus, because you are the way. And as we look to other role models, as we look to scripture, as we look to you, Holy Spirit, as you appear to us and uh, in the word, God, I pray that you would lead us, that you would be the way for us. Jesus, uh, none of us are experts on any of this. None of us get it right perfectly, but Jesus, we trust that you did get it right. You do it right. And Jesus, we need your help as we think about how to respond to this text today. Amen.